Welcome to The Lowdown, KMXT's show dedicated to giving you the up-to-date information we have available on the COVID-19 outbreak and how it's impacting life on Kodiak Island. The Lowdown will focus on facts as provided to us by local and state officials. During this edition of the show, we give you access to local physicians and public health experts with information on COVID-19 and recommendations related to it. If you have a question for our guests, please email it to lowdown at kmxt.org or call KMXT at 486-3181. And that's me. Good morning. It is Wednesday, another Doc of the Rock. Uh, Bad week for the lower 48 with huge surges of new cases New records for deaths throughout the United States, but here in Alaska, schools are reopening, businesses are starting to reopen, and our numbers are going way down. Not down to zero, but down to manageable, I believe. There's a lot of questions arising out of all of that, and we'll get to some of them this morning. And due to time constraints with a lot of things happening in town, both our panelists this morning are going to have to end early, so we're going to get as many questions in as we can if you have one. 486-3181 or lowdown at kmxt.org and we'll try and get your question answered before the end of the show. We have a couple lined up already. Um, today in the, on the Zoom call we have Dr. Shanna Theobald from the Kodiak Ambulatory Care Clinic and Dr. Curtis Mortensen from the Kodiak Community Health Center. Morning. Thanks, guys. Good morning. Well, let's just jump right in and talk about vaccines. You know, the vaccination train has gotten off the off the platform and is starting to move and things are really starting to happen with you dr theobald you want to tell us what's happening with the kodiak ambulatory care clinic and how you're dealing with the the rollout of the vaccines yeah so um at the ambulatory care clinic we received about 300 vaccines from this batch and i think kchc in canada did as well and, and safeway has around 200 i think and we have been administering the vaccines in clinic kind of, you know, a few at a time, sometimes 30 vaccines in a day. And that was really straining our staff. So we um, kind of watched some videos about mass vaccination campaigns in the lower 48. Minnesota did a drive-through specifically because, you know, walk through, you know, you have a mass vaccination campaign and everyone's in the same room, you're all sharing airspace. So we wanted to make sure it was safe um, that it was quick and efficient. We could get, you know, those 200 to 300 vaccines out into the community as quickly as possible. And um, this is, so we, a drive-through was kind of the way we thought would be best to do it. We talked to the people in Minnesota. They kind of, you know, walked us through their process and guided us. And it's not a new thing. Public health has done it in the past, but right now we have limited public health resources. So the clinics are kind of, you know, trying to figure out what's the best way we can get everyone vaccinated as quickly as possible and as safely as possible. So how did you choose, like, the the location and the logistics of how you're going to, you know, manage this many people and your own staff to get it accomplished? It must be quite a challenge. Yes, it has been. So we have called, you know, we ran the list of everybody that's 65 and older. So a couple of things. You have to be 65 and older right now. We're in phase 1B, tier 1. Um, tier 2 is going to be, you know, more high-risk um, populations, people that are on the front lines, like our teachers, our, you know, the Safeway workers, um, people that are 55 and older, I think are tier three, the general public that's 55 and older is uh, tier three in phase 1B. So we had people, we called everybody on our list, we kind of put them into a tentative schedule, let them know our plan, so they know where to meet us. Um, Dr. Kohler called different partners all around Kodiak, you know, we talked with the convention center, um, some of the other big garages in town, and the place that it worked best that had the availability, the way we can, you know, drive the cars through um, was actually out by the airport. It's the AAA uh, transfer and moving and transfer company. And um, they were really willing, they were really excited about it. They're, the owners were very gracious and, and really wanted to be part of, you know, getting our community back to normal again. So, um, we have a list of everybody that really needs it, and we're going to try to, when when people get there, we have a card system where we're going to give them, you know, 200 cards for the people that have already pre-registered, and then a card, about 50, we have about 50 extra for people that are 65 and older, so they'll get a different color card, and once we've 
given out those 50 cards, we're going to have to just say anyone who's not in this batch, um, you know, will be turned away to just reschedule with either a different clinic or the next batch that comes in. Um, we do have the EOC on board. We have um, some other, just the EMS volunteers. It's not through the official ambulance service today, but a lot of people who work with the service have volunteered to help us be out there. And then um, one, the pharmacist, I think Stephanie from uh, Providence Kodiak is going to bring the vaccines out and help draw them up. And we're going to basically, people will drive into the garage. Well, I think about five cars at a time, we'll have two or three people vaccinating, two or three people recording, you know, that they got the vaccine, where they got it, giving them their card, making sure they know to um, sign up on VSAFE, which is the vaccine kind of adverse side effects um, program where everyone, they'll check in every day and make sure that we are tracking side effects for people. And then um, there's a rest and recovery station outside of the garage where people are asked to wait in their cars for 15 minutes. There'll be people observing, monitoring that parking lot making sure everybody's, you know, has their questions answered. And then we've asked people to honk or flash their lights if there's any, you know, if they're having any severe side effects and people will also be, you know, walking around and monitoring people, which is how they did it in Minnesota. And it worked, it worked really well. I'm hoping that we'll have the same success. Wow. Logistically, that sounds um, pretty cool, actually. Um, so if, What's the drill then? If somebody has already called your clinic and made a, re a reservation for a vaccine and they haven't already got it yet, then you're giving them a time to go out to this facility today? Um, we didn't do that. We wish we – the demand has been so high. We probably have 600 people that have called our clinic wanting it, which I think is an excellent problem to have. But – I also, you know, we've been really trying, We, by the way, we have a website, kiacc.com with all this information on it, so people can look there, but we have been trying to be very clear that our supplies are limited and not everybody who deserves a vaccine, you know, is, is eligible for a vaccine is going to be able to get one in this batch. So um, we're trying to minimize the, you know, any disappointment or, or people being upset because they made an appointment but we do have a list it's alphabetized of the 200 people that are slotted to get it today and as people drive in there will be kind of traffic monitors right out you know 500 yards down the road making sure that those people that have already pre-registered and are on the list go into the left lane that is basically a fast track into the garage and then if anyone either isn't on the list or hasn't registered yet they'll pull off to the right side on the shoulder fill out their paperwork. So once they enter the garage, they give their paperwork form, their insurance cards, their ID, so we can properly document them in, at the state level and backtrack. Um, then they'll kind of, everyone will pull in, kind of like the ferry system where they have traffic guides and we'll have five cars at once. And then, you know, as they come in, they're giving the paperwork. And then as the nurses are administering the vaccine, they're looking first looking over the side effect profile. And then they're on that paperwork, they say which dose they got, the date, where they gave it, you know, in the left deltoid or right deltoid. And um, when, and then they get a card to take with them to tell them, you know, come make sure you make appointment in three weeks. So the standby line then, is this going to be a race to the line to what, you know, you open at 10 o'clock and there's, you're expecting there are going to be a hundred people out there trying to be in the standby line? Yeah, we, the response has been overwhelming. And to be honest, I don't think we've adequately We've tried to adequately prepare for it, but we, there could be some, you know, overflow. We, we're probably going to be over capacity. So the standby line, yeah, it's going to be basically first come, first serve in that line. And then once we have remaining 50 doses, the traffic control people at the very, you know, out on the road are going to make sure they're telling anyone else who pulls up after that, that, you know, we, we are, we won't be able to get one today. Yeah. Basically. So these are all six, you know, you got to prove you're 65, right? Yeah. So um, people will have their ID and their insurance cards out so we can verify their birth date. And then we really are trying to get the people that have already made the effort to get on the list first in line. If they come, you know, we, we said 10 to two, but realistically it, most places are administering 200 vaccines within an hour. So, and that's the beauty of this is that we can get, so many people vaccinated in such a shorter amount of time. But at the same time, you know, if people are thinking, oh, it's between 10 and 2, I'll show up at 1 p.m. 
um, I, I want to tell people now, get there early because they might be gone by then. And we really want the people who have signed up to get it first. But we did not. Next time we're going to say, if you've signed up, come between 10 and 11. If you haven't signed up, come af you know, after 11. But unfortunately, we, we didn't have that in place for this round. Hmm. So it's going to be a race out to the airport then at 10 o'clock. It starts at 10 o'clock? Starts at 10 o'clock, yeah. I People might be, I mean, in Minnesota, people were lining up 15, 30 minutes before the vaccine site actually opened. And honestly, I think it's so great that there are so many people that want it. I wish we had, you know, the 5,000 doses that we need right now. Um, and we're hoping, the other thing is, is the state is looking at how quickly people are using the doses and that's how they're being allotted a, a new batch. So another, you know, good part of this is the sooner we get our community vaccinated, the more vaccines we get and the sooner we can really, you know, get that second dose in in three weeks, um, sign up for Be Safe, report any vaccine side effects or, you know, adverse reactions each day. Um, and then hopefully we'll get that, that second batch should be released in about, you know, two to three weeks. And then there's going to be a new batch in February for the first time dosers, um, that will be released from the state just so people kind of, and those are all limited, like 975 doses at a time. So just so people know, like it is going to be some time before everyone who deserves their vaccine and needs their vaccine will be able to get it. Um, have patience with us, but we're trying to do the best we can to get as many people vaccinated as quickly as possible. So do people even get out of the car? Do you just hang your arm out the window and they jab you? Yep. Just put your arm out the window and they don't have to get out. It's going to be so, I mean, they were doing one vaccine almost a minute in Minnesota. And then, you know, there's the 15 minute wait period afterwards or 30 minutes if you've had an adverse reaction to a vaccine component so like the polyethylene glycol, or if you've had any history of, you know, severe reactions like anaphylaxis, we want people to wait 30 minutes. We want it to be safe. We want it to go smooth. We want, you know, to minimize any um, adverse events that happen. And you guys have e EMS is going to be around that part of the monitoring is that you have kind of EMS available there, which is, I think, a big part of, of making this safe. Um, I, I, I just want to say, like, this is super exciting to me to like hear about. Um, I really applaud the ambulatory care clinic and all they're doing to try and get the vaccine out quickly. Um, you know, we at the community health center, we're just starting to administer the vaccine today. This is the first day we're starting to administer it. And um, we think we have a plan to be able to basically give someone a vaccine every 15 minutes throughout the day. And um, at that rate, we would, we would be able to give all the vaccine we've been allotted for the month of January within a, a two weeks. And so we're, we're, we're kind of taking that approach this month uh, to kind of do it sort of traditionally like we would through, through an office uh, space uh, using our nurses and even some of our providers. Um, but um, I'm curious how this goes uh, out there today because it may be that this is kind of the way we move in future months because in future months, we're not only going to be giving the initial dose, but we're also going to be giving a follow-up, you know, we're going to be giving initial doses for people that we have that we need to get vaccinated, but we also are going to be giving follow-up doses from this group. So it's going to compound itself. The amount of vaccines we're going to need to give is more. And so um, I, I just think it's really exciting to see these ways of, of kind of creatively being able to give the vaccines more efficiently, but also safely. And I think that um, I, I was speaking with Dr. Kohler yesterday and, uh, you know, I, I think they're doing a nice job of seeing what's been used in the past and trying to make this not only an efficient event, but a safe event. And I think that that's, that's got to be, that's crucial as well. Yeah. I agree. So from last week, if I recall, I mean, this, this must have really impacted a lot of people because last as of last week we really didn't know how people were signing up there was still the state portal and there was call our office and make an appointment and it seems like we quickly got out of the state portal system although there may still be some people being directed to Safeway through that but you folks have pretty much filled up your um, your lists of available vaccine so heads up to you for both uh, starting pro processes that seem to work a little bit more efficiently for the community. But 
if I remember the numbers from last week correctly, Curtis, you thought you had identified about 600 people in your your list of group people who were eligible for vaccine now, and I think you were around 300 then. But now it sounds like you're way over 300 at the ambulatory care clinic. The 300 number was for 75 and older. We have about 600 as well that are 65 and older. And there's probably some overlap because, yeah, Yeah. we are an urgent care. So people will come and register with us, you know, if they can't get into their primary care doctor and have, you know, a cut or something. So um, there's probably a good amount of overlap between us and CANA. Um, but it would be interesting. I wish, I don't know if anyone has the actual Kodiak database for the whole community that's 65 and older. I'm sure it exists somewhere, but I don't have, I don't have that. So you don't have enough vaccine to go around to meet the demand from your clinic right now. When, when do you anticipate getting more for the people who get left out this time? Um, for the first dose, February, we've been, so Jason, um, Bishop, Bishop is the Kodiak vaccine coordinator. Um, he's through the EOC and he they've given the 975 dose allotment that we're all distributing now and then hopes that we'll have the second dose available you know, in three weeks. So that would be the end of January. And then they expect the next batch of first doses for tiers two and three of phase one B to arrive in February. We don't have a date, or as far as I know, there's not a date, but things are changing. Like you said, things are changing quickly. Developments are happening like, you know, in real time. So um, for us, check back on our website. We're going to hopefully be able to, we'll be updating that as soon as we get more information. And that's kiacc.com. And I'm sure KCHC and Canna have, I'll let them speak to their methods of how to get that figured out. So are you holding vaccine back then for the second dose for the first, first, the people who get it today? You're not, you're just hoping that it comes in three weeks. No, and you probably saw the um, the new the Trump administration, Alex Azar, the secretary of the Department of Health, have all said release all first doses now to the United States. We're not going to hold any back. We want to get as many people vaccinated with this first dose. And then, you know, in three weeks, we'll have that second dose ready. But if everyone has 50 percent um, immunity, the, the thought behind that, and, and there's not a lot of good science to back it up. I wish we had more scientific data to say, you know, what's the best route here. But um, the thought behind that is better to have everyone with at least 50% immunity and then hopefully get that second dose in in three weeks than it is to have half the number of people, you know, with full immunity over a five to six week period. But yeah, right now we're not holding anything back. But the, our state has has the ability to do something different than what they do at the federal level. And I, as I understand it still, all these tests on the vaccines were done with the two doses. So, you know, there's that argument about why would you why would you jeopardize the results of the trials by only giving people one? Yeah, that is a really good argument. I know Dr. Osterholm was saying we just unfortunately it is a it is a risk. It is a gamble to just say let's vaccinate everybody now and we might end up, you know, having issues with that down the line. But this is a vaccine that can be made very quickly. Mass numbers can be made much more quickly. The mRNA vaccines are a lot easier to make and a lot faster to make than the traditional, you know, um, viral capsules and antigen um, vaccines that we have made in the past. Those usually take a few weeks. So um, I think the thought is that Pfizer should be able to mass produce that second dose by the time it's needed. There is also some, there's there's some evidence, you know, in some of these studies that were done, they had some people that didn't get the second vaccine because either they, you know, and there is, I, I think it was with the Moderna vaccine, uh, Shanna, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but um, with, with, with one of the two, I think it was Moderna, they did kind of a follow-up study and they did find that with a single dose that there was some, there was some effectiveness of it. And so, um, you know, some, some is better than none. I, I think that's kind of what they're they're taking, kind of extrapolating from that. Um, certainly, we're not saying we would recommend people get both doses. Like that's not what we're what we're trying to uh, employ. But we also think that, like you know, we kind of have to have faith that there's more coming. You know, and and I think that to um, to delay and only give half of it, sort of hoping that 
you know, to, to, to be on the safe side, not getting, I think that, um, as Shanna said earlier, I think that we're likely to get more, the sooner we get the vaccine out, the more likely we are to be able to sort of say we have need for more because we've been good with what we've got, what, what we've been given. So I think that for us locally, getting the vaccine into people's arms is the sooner we do it, the more we can request because we say, hey, we have the infrastructure here to get it into people quickly. And so we've, uh, I think that's going to be helpful. So are you already book? You're already booking people though for their second shot. So mm-hmm. if there's, if there's a conflict there between somebody who's in the, you know, in a tier that is supposed to be get vaccinated the first time now, and you have a limited supply, do you give the second shot or do you say, no, the first person that's already got one, you wait around and see if we get some more later. I think at this point we'd say like if, if if you have somebody that's in the process has already gotten their first shot and uh you only like let's say we only get as much next month as we would have to give the second shot i think probably that's going to come down with some recommendations from the state on how to do that appropriately um most likely they're going to say give the second shot to the people that have the first one i think that's probably what their recommendations are going to be yeah according to jason um an email he sent out and you know things can change, but according to Jason through the EOC, they are ready to send the batch of second doses to Kodiak once we've distributed distributed the, this first batch. So, and that's a separate um, shipment than once tier two and tier three open up, which is a new shipment that will come in February. So, I think Alaska has kind of held on to the allocation for that second dose and we'll ship that to Kodiak when we're ready for it. So Jenna, are you going to go out to the, uh, the facility here at 10 o'clock? Yes, I will be there. That should be pretty exciting. Yeah, I'm super excited. If anyone's interested, there is a really good time um, article on how the Minnesota drive through vaccine campaign was run. And it just kind of, there's a video and, and it also describes it. So it's, I think it's really nice for people to kind of see that. Two really important points I want to make that Dr. Zink made yesterday on the radio. One, we are all getting the Pfizer um, vaccine in Kodiak at this time. So just make note of that because your second dose does need to be the same type of vaccine you got the first round. We are, right now, it is not recommended to kind of mix and match different brand names or doses. Um, it is 21 days later. There's a little bit of grace period. If you aren't going to be able to get it on 21 days, you can get it about four days early, but we should not be scheduling people to get it early. And if you can't get it till later, you just need to get that second dose as soon as you can after that 21 day period. But really trying to get it on 21 days is where we have the information for. So that's really what we're recommending to people. And um, yeah, reporting in VSafe afterwards, there's a little, once you sign up for VSafe, every day it will check in with you about your symptoms so you can just say if you're having any side effects or not and that's why this that's how the state and and federally we're tracking um what is going on with the vaccine we need that data since it was you know released under an emergency use authorization we're not going to have that data until it comes in from people that are getting it so make sure um make sure to do that there was a question about immunity um you are not 100 immune after receiving the vaccine, you know, it's about 50% after the first dose, roughly speaking, and then 95% after the second dose, after, you know, 10 to 14 days, once your immunity builds from the vaccine itself. Um, But you, as far as if you can still spread COVID, we don't have the information for that yet. Um, But in theory, once you receive the vaccine, your system has made neutralizing antibodies that will kind of contain that virus and the lower viral load you have the the more quickly your immune system responds and kind of kills and clears out that virus the more the less likely you are to spread that on to people or to other people so in theory you know the ability to spread this to somebody after you get the vaccine is going to be much less than if you didn't get the vaccine at all. Of course, it's all on a continuum and and science is very complex. So we can't say, you know, black or white, all or nothing, but um, it will definitely be decreased compared to not getting the vaccine. So Dr. Mortensen from from last week, you had anticipated getting Moderna and things have changed to now because we're a 
a hub community with capacity, apparently, everybody here is going to get Pfizer and they're going to send the Moderna out to places that don't have the deep freezer capacity. So we're going to be all given Pfizer here in Kodiak. Yeah, at least, at least so far, um, you know, that was a little bit of a surprise for us, too, because uh, we were expecting, based on the kind of the calls throughout the state, um, we thought that um, basically communities outside of Anchorage and the Matsu Valley were going to be getting Moderna primarily. Like that was kind of the idea is that they were going to keep Pfizer sort of in the, the Anchorage Bowl area because there was more availability for storage of it. But, um, you know, we're really fortunate here. Uh, the hospital has allowed us to store our uh vaccines and actually i think they're storing cannas as well uh to store them at the hospital we just take them out daily how many we need um and then um you know I, I, the ambulatory care clinic has their own their own deep freezer so um you know we for a small community we have more resources i think in that way so i, I think it's an appropriate decision uh and it's kind of helpful that we all have the same type because then it's you know there's not these there's slight differences between the two i don't think that there's anything that would say that there's anything really superior about one over the other. They just are different. Like the Moderna takes 28 days, the Pfizer's 21 days. You know, there's some differences in storage, differences in the amount of doses you get out of a vial. So there's there's some unique things about each one, but as far as their effectiveness, I think they're pretty darn close. So so we're happy to get what we get. I you know, I'm I'm happy with getting the Pfizer. Uh it it is a little bit more complicated on the uh, preparation side than the Moderna is. Uh, and so, but, so it was a little bit of a surprise to us, but we're happy about it. So, um, your clinic, I mean, this is an attractive method of delivering in mass and, and you, but you're still in the resource intensive delivery every 15 minutes or so. So how are you scheduling the people, you know, if, if you have 600 people that are eligible in your clinic and you only have 300 doses to, to, to actually allocate, um, and you have this timeline that, that kind of, once you, once you crack the case, you know you're going to have to deliver to this many people. How, how are you managing uh, your client load and, and the people that aren't, haven't already been communicated with you know what I mean is, if you got 600 and you only have 300 doses to give out now, what do you do with the other 300? Sure, sure, sure. Um, yeah, I mean, so we're kind of handling this. It's kind of an evolving process. Uh, we we didn't schedule anybody until yesterday because we didn't get the vaccine until Monday night, and so we didn't want to schedule anybody until we knew we had the vaccine in our hand. You know, you know Kodiak weather, right? Yeah. So like, you know, we wanted to make sure we had it. So. We got it confirmation on Tuesday morning that we had gotten it the night before. Yesterday, we had a wait list of around 200 patients that met criteria. This is, we hadn't even scheduled them. They just had a wait list sitting there. Um, now, as we're going through it yesterday, we, some of them are scheduled to, at the mass vaccination site. So there is some overlap, like we said. So, um, so then now we're getting through our wait list and we have been our list. We're trying not to duplicate patients calling them twice and stuff but um so then we have our list that has you know 65 and older and then we even have our list kind of broken down into risk categories like who has been these high risk conditions also in that and so we're kind of going working down through our list of people that haven't called us already and going through that and trying to schedule people so that's kind of our process so um there's apparently already a long line out there <laughs> people waiting i have a, a caller wants to know they already have an appointment with you dr theobald on the 20th to get the vaccine are they honoring those appointments or are they supposed to go out to the drive-in place today yeah we are holding i think it was about five vials and if we can it's five to six doses per vial some of those are people that are actually flying out from the villages to get the vaccine. I think two doses go towards, or two vials go towards that. And then um, we are holding on to enough to honor people who are coming into clinic who can't make it out to the um, drive-through. I am hoping we don't overextend ourselves in that anyone who has an appointment will get the vaccine. Um, with a lot of numbers being up in the air right now, I 
you know, we want to get as many people vaccinated as possible. I'm, I want to promise that everyone who's scheduled is going to get it from us as scheduled. I, I'm, a, I'm hesitant to do so just because there is a lot of demand and, and I don't know that we've accounted for everything at this point. Um, but yeah, we are holding on to vaccine. I know I, the hospital is holding on to an extra 90 doses and then Safeway has it as well. And I think we're, we're all going to try to work together as much as possible to get everyone who has an appointment, um, a vaccine through us or, or our colleagues in town. And then hopefully we can request, as soon as we get these used up, we, we can request our next batch right away for the demand. But yeah, we should we should be able to honor everybody who who has a scheduled appointment at this point. That's our plan. That's our goal. So once you crack one of these vials, how many people does each vial give a vaccine to? Yeah, it's it was slated for five doses per vaccine vial, um, but there's enough there's enough fluid in there to give six doses if we use you know the the. Uh, particular needle that doesn't take up as much of the fluid and then the smallest syringes because the bigger the syringe the bigger the needle the more waste um extra space there is that kind of waste the volume so this is it's kind called, of it's called a low, low dead space low dead space needle which is it basically you know every time you're drawing some medicine up some of them stays in the needle and so if you have the least amount of space possible in that needle then you can get you can pretty consistently get six doses out of each vial so once you crack one, you get to use. Do you anticipate that you know once once you crack the vial, if somebody doesn't show up, you know, there we hear these stories about you know announcements over the PA systems in, in WalMarts that you know come on down. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean that's not so far from the truth. You know, we're kind of using we have like a wait list, right? And so we're trying to still give that if we have somebody that no shows or. We get an extra dose out of a vial that we're not expecting or something like that um then we we kind of will probably be calling people that are on our list coming to for the next day trying our best to keep it within still the realm of the people that are expected to get that dose maybe 65 and older or whatever but the state's been very clear that if it comes down to either wasting a dose or giving it to somebody outside of that parameter they said, do not waste a dose. So yeah, if somebody grabs you, if Dr. Theobald grabs you on the side of the street and says, hey, do you need your COVID vaccine? That's probably because we're looking for someone. We, we had somebody not show up and we're looking for someone. So just be Once careful you... downtown if you're walking around in Dr. Theobald. <laughs> yeah, come on in. Once you, once you take the vial out of the ultra cold freezer, if it's in refrigeration, you have five days to use it. It has to stay at refrigeration temperatures, which is like 30 to 45 degrees. If it comes, if it um, is at room temperature, you have six hours to use that vial. And once the vial is, you know, we have to reconstitute it. So that's another part of this. We're having the pharmacist come out and mix the saline into the actual mRNA vaccine in a vial. Um, you have... Uh, six hours to use that and you can't put it back in the fridge after that so yeah exactly we are trying to make sure we use up every single dose and really get the most out of these as is feasible so you got like a little brinks truck you take it from uh, the hospital out to the triple a storage and then there's a refrigerator there that it hangs out in but you're gonna yeah, you're, you're really trying to get rid of this within an hour or two yeah, within six hours, it is, and we're, and I mean, based on what we've seen so far in other places, I think it will be out within two hours. Um, yeah, they're bringing it out on dry ice, so it's maintaining. You know, when they transport it, they can transport it in containers that are ultra cold, and then, um, but it does take time to actually uh, thaw out and, and become, a, you know, a good temperature that you can actually inject it into your skin. So I think that this morning they put them out into maybe the fridge and then they'll put it at room temperature, you know, within a certain amount, of, however long. I think it's a couple hours to thaw. Um, and we've all gone through, there's Pfizer and Moderna training through the CDC. Every person who administers the vaccine is required to go through that training and it teaches you, you know, storage, handling, how long it can be out, labeling, safety practices, and then kind of, you know, information for patients. So it's really really carefully thought out and well-designed and everybody is getting the same information. So we're making sure that that vaccine is effective and safe. So um, Mike, can I just, I just wanted to clarify something that I, we have gotten a lot of questions about and I actually clarified this with Dr. Plutnikoff over at Canna. 
today, just so that I think there is some uh, one thing that we've had quite a few questions about is um, so Canada has been um, they get their vaccines from two different pools. They get from the statewide pool and also a pool through the Indian Health Service. And so just so people are aware, um, the, the pool they get through the state, they have they're following the same recommendations we are in that 65 and older age group and, and those types of things. But in the pool of vaccines they're getting through the Indian Health Service, those are they have kind of self-determined ability to give those to their beneficiaries, however they see fit. And so just I know that there's been like we've had patients call say, hey, you know, we've we heard of somebody who got this who is, you know, not in the age range where you're saying we should get it. And I just want to clarify that that's not because um, there's some sort of something weird going on or that that we're trying to hold back the vaccine from people that are younger or, you know, things like that. But just be a realize, realize that there's different pools from which these are coming from. And uh, so um, I just thought that that was worth clarifying. And I did clarify that with Dr. Pletnikoff this morning, just because I, I think it's people get anxious and and, you know, they get kind of frustrated when they hear things and I'm sure people are floating things on Facebook and stuff like that. But I just I want people to know that um, for for non beneficiaries, uh, the 65 and older, uh, you know, holds, but for native beneficiaries, it may be different. And so just be aware of that. Yeah, it was really interesting to hear the Dan from the YK Delta uh, Community Health Center yesterday on talk of Alaska talking about how in their area that uh, with that allocation that they've done things a little bit differently. I don't think it's anything to be concerned about. They, you have to assume that each community has the best interests of their community in mind when they're making these kind of decisions. I have another follow-up question from another caller who has a an appointment for a vaccine at your clinic today, Shanna, at 1 o'clock. They want to know, are they supposed to go to the clinic or are they supposed to go out to the airport? If you have an appointment today, go out to the airport. That's where we we put all of our staff out there. And um, yeah, one o'clock, between the hours of 10 to two, yeah, go to the mass vaccine. And it's honestly, it's safer, it's quicker than coming into the clinic. So yeah, go out to the, any anything today, any vaccines today, um, go out. So, but you do have some, you're, you're reserving some for the, the people who've been scheduled for appointments, but. Yes, we're reserving some, but today, all of our staff, basically we've, put all of our staff and resources into vaccinating the 200 to 300 people that we have, and no one will be at clinic at one o'clock. Okay. Is it that much more difficult with this vaccine? Is, I mean, it's it sounds interesting that there's all this training about how you qualify to give this particular shot. Is it that much different than any kind of a shot? It's... Um... It's more complicated because of the, um, you know, it being an mRNA vaccine, it is uh, more fragile, essentially. And, uh, and so it requires these cold, cold temperatures, and then this uh, kind of more complicated process for both storage and for preparation. So it's, it is significantly more complicated than, uh, you know, the run-of-the-mill flu shot. But for us, us, the recipients, it's just roll up your shirt and take the pain is that it yeah and honestly <laughs> most people are saying it doesn't even hurt when you get the shot you know and you feel the poke maybe you guys and... always say that kind of thing no though, but this is what <laughs> patients in clinic are telling us which i think is great and then you get the sore arm for about a day or two that's the most common there is a list of all the common side effects on the cdc by percentages of report you know how many people had felt tired after fatigue i think it was like 65 percent sore arm 85 percent um, and there's a few other kind of body aches and, and basically like a really mild, cold type um, reaction are the most common. So I get another follow up from the same person that says, if my appointment's at one o'clock today, well, I guess they're, they're saying the same thing. Um, should they show up at one o'clock today out at the airport or should they show up out there now? Show up out there now. Everybody who's scheduled for today Go out as soon as you can. Um, we don't want to miss you. And I think, you know, with the high demand and people are might be that didn't register at all might be trying to drive in and it's 
we're we've organized it, I think, really well for the resources and the time. I agree with Dr. Mortensen. We just realized we got the vaccines on Tuesday morning, and we've been planning this for a while, but we weren't sure. So um, we didn't have as much forewarning as we would have liked, and so we've been really just trying to do the best we can with the time and the information that we have, and also accommodating everybody. But if you are getting a vaccine today, go out there as soon as you can, because um, we don't want you to go out there at like one o'clock and have most of the vaccines already administered. And I'm just hoping that we can make sure we get everybody who's on the list vaccinated. We really, that is our goal. We want you to get the vaccine, especially when you've put the effort in to kind of make that appointment. So yeah, get out there. Okay. Um, let's talk a little bit about the similarities between this disease and the common cold. You know, the the common cold being a coronavirus, isn't it? some variant of it? So I guess what I would say is, um, you know, the common cold is uh, not a single virus. The common cold encompasses uh, a variety of viruses. It could be adenovirus, it could be coronavirus, it could be various strains of different viruses. So the, the common cold is, is just something that uh, encapsulates kind of a, a group of symptoms that we would we would characterize like the runny nose, the sore throat, cough, kind of the, the Kodiak crud, um, like that. That is the common cold, and um, it is a generic term for any number of viruses that can cause those symptoms. And so um, that's why the common cold is so hard to treat, because it, like as far as like actually other than just symptomatic treatments, there's no. It's hard to have a curative treatment for the common cold because these are it's a different virus, slightly different strain of the virus, like, and it kind of, it tends to be fairly mild. Um, but, you know, some common colds makes you feel pretty miserable. Like, there's no doubt that people feel pretty crummy from that. Um, so the, the difference is, is that in the case of COVID-19 or coronavirus, uh, SARS-CoV-19, is that it's um, not, uh, this is a specific virus that we're, that we're targeting and uh, not like a grouping of viruses, but it's a specific virus that has a specific mutation that causes it to be more deadly, specifically more transmissible than kind of what we think of as just a common cold. So yeah, I want to add to that. This is this ranks. Vox just released an article. This ranks among the ten worst pandemics in history. You know, recorded history just by the sheer number of deaths. It has far you know, outshadowed um, SARS, MERS, you know, the influenza epidemic, the H1N1. Um, and, you know, it's not as bad as the 1918 flu. It's not as bad as the bubonic plague, which is a bacteria, not a virus. But I think, you know, we've done a lot of mitigation efforts and we have a lot more information now. If we didn't have that information, I think this easily could have been, uh, you know, it's, it's very contagious compared to a lot of the um, viruses that are out there. It's more deadly. And I, right now, if you look at number of deaths per total number of documented infections, it's it's close to 2% fatality, right? I think that's going to go down in time, but it might not go down to the, you know, we've kind of guesstimated between 0.6% and 1% to 2%. Um, it's It will remain to be seen what the fatality rate is. And we're also documenting more numbers of positive tests where the flu, we weren't documenting, you know, back in 1918, if people were asymptomatic, we never counted them as a flu case. So the true fatality rate of that might've been lower as well. But just by sheer number of deaths globally, nearly 2 million people have died from this in the United States. We're quickly approaching 400,000. Um, just by that alone, this pandemic is much more you know, severe than the common cold. The common cold, we don't see the number of deaths rate. We don't see hospitals overwhelmed every flu season like we're seeing right now in ICU cases. So I think it, that really is important for people to kind of understand that the difference. So do people get the flu twice or the, the a common cold twice in a season? They do, don't they? So, but it, it's not necessarily, it's not necessarily the same virus. So what I would say is the common cold is a clinical diagnosis. It's a, it's a diagnosis we make by when we go in the room, we see a patient, they describe symptoms to us. We look at them. That is, that is, it's, it's a clinical diagnosis there. Um, whereas influenza is a, is, is a diagnosis made by testing for a specific virus. And the same thing would go for COVID-19, 
right? And so there's some overlap there, right? Like we know that some people with COVID-19, all they get are some upper respiratory symptoms like that, that it, you, would, you would say, oh, that looks like the common cold. Um, and the, the difference is, is that uh, we're actually testing for a specific virus to see what specific type of infection it is. So I guess I'm, where I'm going with this is we had heard cases of people who've gotten reinfected with COVID. Um, and the, the question is always with all these new variants coming out and different strains of COVID, it, it, is, it is possible that a person gets a different type of, of COVID three weeks after recovering from the first time they had, right? Yes, that is correct. And we have seen reinfections. And when they've typed the, the coronavirus, it is a different type. So your immune system might not recognize it quite as you know quickly because it has is mutated and changed a little bit. Same thing. We've had patients that come in, you know, in November with influenza A, and then they come back in December, or January with and they're sick again, and we retest them, and it's influenza B. So just in the same way, you can get different strains of the flu in one season. Um, you can get different strains of of COVID nineteen in this pandemic season. So I guess where I was going with this is, if when they're when they're deciding whether a vaccine is effective. They look at kind of three broad categories, right? Whether it prevents an infection, whether it prevents serious disease, or whether it prevents transmission of the disease. So what does this vaccine, that the Pfizer mRNA, what does it actually do? Does it do all three of those things or does it do just one? Well, I, I think that there's... Uh... There's definitely some, uh, we, we don't know everything, but the, the studies that were done, like the studies that were 95% effective, is that uh, people are less likely to contract the disease and people are less likely to get really sick from it. And so that's kind of what we know. Um, we don't know about transmission. We, we, that's what we've already talked about is that we just haven't done those studies yet. But I think we would all say it's reasonable to think that if someone doesn't get the disease, doesn't get the disease or doesn't get it sick, which insinuates that they would have a less of a viral load, that they're probably less likely to trans, you know, to uh, transmit it as well. That would be rational thinking. However, there's been a lot of things about this disease process that haven't just been like by the books, right? So I think that we have to keep an open mind that we don't things that we do know factually and things that we can kind of extrapolate. But um, so. I think that what we don't know, that transmission component, we just don't know. We don't have the studies yet. Which is why I think the we have this question from a listener about listening to Dr. Zink yesterday. We kind of touched on it a little bit earlier. But even after you get the vaccine here, you, you still need to do the same pro protocols, right? You still need to mask and distance even after you get your second shot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's not the vaccine's not 100 percent effective. Right. So, like, I think that that's that's part of part of the issue. Um, and then just like we were talking about with this transmissibility effect that we just don't know yet. And so I think that the idea of. We don't certainly don't have the majority of our population vaccinated yet. The vaccine's not 100 percent effective and we don't know about the transmission. Those three factors would would lead us to say continue doing these mitigation efforts and. Um, I know that we're having talks even in our clinic now. It's like, okay, so we have some of our providers that are vaccinated. Do we need to keep testing them every month? You know, like we have been just kind of, we're doing this surveillance testing. And as of right now, we are. It's possible that changes down the road when we get more people vaccinated. But I think I just lost the audio a little bit. Um, so I think. Go ahead. What? No, I think there's audio in the background. It kind of cancels out the other person talking. Um, yeah, no, I, I agree. We we know that it does decrease transmission and decreases, you know, a person getting the severe disease. And hopefully, once we're closer to herd immunity, 60 to 80% people being vaccinated and or having some kind of immunity maybe from the virus, that's when I think we're going to start being safe to go back to normal. We can start, you know, not using masks and, and all the kind of, physical distancing. 
But once you've had those two vaccines, Dr. Dr. Osterholm was asked this question, once you've had those two vaccines, you know, it is safe to see your family again and to um, start traveling and still wear a mask and, and be cautious. But the whole point of these vaccines is to get us back to normal. So I think, you know, and we're going to see more and more data coming out about how, you know, much it prevents transmission, but we just, it's, it takes time. Normally these studies are done over, you know, two or three years, like we've talked about before, and we get that data before the vaccine gets rolled out. Um, but we're going to be getting that data in real time. So we do need to be cautious in the meantime, so that, you know, one of those variants, there's an escape variant now from South Africa that is showing resistance to some of the neutralizing antibodies that are given through, you know, the plasma, convalescent plasma. And those are the same neutral antibodies that we make after receiving a vaccine or after getting infected. So we want to make sure that, you know, even if you've had the vaccine, you're not going to still be a super spreader if one of these variants comes out. But the whole point, yeah, is that hopefully this vaccine will work. And they can modify the vaccine to target some of these new variants, specifically if it does show that the vaccine is not effective. As of now, they've tested the vaccine on these new variants, and it does appear that it is effective. But this virus is mutating as we speak, and not all of the mutations are being you know, reported. So... That's where we're saying still wear the mask. So this is what we're going to talk about. I have a whole lot of questions about that that we're going to we're going to talk about a little bit next week. Um, my final question today is though for for quarantine purposes, a person who gets the vaccine now, one dose, or do the quarantine rules still apply to them? How would they? Yes, you're both nodding your head. Yes. Yeah, that we. I mean, those things. Like I said, in the future, that will change. But for right now. Uh, with both the um, both the fact that um, the vaccine is relatively new, we don't have a wide swath of our population vaccinated, and it's not 100% effective. You know, I, I think that the certainly the recommendations from the CDC have not changed or the state regarding quarantining, isolating those types of things. Okay. That being said, you know, it's right close to 10 o'clock, so I know both of you have lots of good to go out and do in the community. So. Thanks for your time again this morning, and have a fun day. I, it sounds like it's going to be a really fun day, vaccination starting and a huge drive-in clinic. Um, uh, best of luck to you. I hope things go smoothly. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you so much. All right, have a good day.